0: Happy Resurrection Sunday. God bless you guys. I'm so happy to be with you, to celebrate with you. There's no place to me in the whole world that I would rather be in worship than worshiping with you guys this Sunday morning. Um, And and because we're African, and Africans like to sing, and they like to dance, and that is exciting to me. Sometimes I go to the States, and I know they're worshiping in their hearts, but you can't see it because they stand like this. So it's a joy to be with you. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And we're going to do a shorter sermon today so that we can enjoy a few more songs. Um, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we just looked at the resurrection, we could, we could study it for eternity. God is infinite, His beauty is infinite. The scholars and Bible commentators say, which I agree with, is when we're saying holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty in heaven, we're told that we're going to be saying this for eternity. Now, don't think it's going to be some boring thing and you're like, oh, for all of eternity, I'm going to be singing a song That doesn't sound nice. You understand that in eternity, there's no time. You can be playing a football match while singing holy, holy, holy at the same time, while eating food all at the same time, and doing an infinite of other amount of things all at the same time. Because in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he is going to throw time away. We're not going to live with the construct We're not going to live with the confinement of time. So for eternity, we're singing holy, holy, holy. There's been many Bible uh, uh, preachers and commentators write books on why that is going to be a foundational song in heaven. It's because God's distinct quality above all other qualities Yes, He is infinitely humble, He's infinitely patient and kind and gracious and loving, but He is holy, and that's going to be one of those things that stands out to us in heaven above any other thing, is His holiness. And kind of during the sermon today, I want us to really focus and say, I want to grow this year. I want to grow today on this Resurrection Sunday and tomorrow as we meditate that we need to have a greater appreciation and a greater hunger and a greater longing for righteousness. When I was a kid, um, I've mentioned this before that preachers would just be telling um, the congregation often, and it's good to preach against fornication. It's good to preach against drunkenness. Uh, the Bible does such things. Um, but as we do expositions, that's what we do at Calvary Chapel Eldorette. If you're a visitor today, we'd like to welcome you. If you are visitors, your first time today, would you just raise your hand? Your first time to Calvary. Raise your hand if you're a visitor. Let's give everyone a hand clap. God bless you guys. And after the service, if you are a visitor, just come up and your prize is a million spiritual shillings today. A million spiritual shillings. We'll pray for you. But when I was a kid, these preachers would preach. It would seem more often. And during expositions, the New Testament, the Old Testament, it it speaks a lot more about God than it preaches against. It preaches to us a lot more of what we should be doing than what we shouldn't be doing. Did you guys know that? And so often we can get in the trap as preachers and churches to just focus on all the bad things. And so they would tell me, you know, don't fornicate. And when you tell that to a 14, 15-year-old boy, that's all that's on his mind, especially an unbelieving boy, a non-Christian. And so these preachers were telling me everything I shouldn't do, and it was everything I wanted to do. I was like, this is terrible. They're saying I'm going to hell if I do everything that that is in me wants to do. But when I finally was introduced to a person, the person of Christ, his beauty, his righteousness, his holiness became so desirable that those other things, they, they haven't gone away in my life but they are way less desirable to the point where I don't have to obey them. I don't have to give in to them because I have somebody worthy of worship, more glorious than sin, more beautiful than my desires. Very important to know that. We need to be introduced to a person to overcome sin. But something happened as time went on after I got saved, the temptations would scream at me, But as time went on, I grew in an appreciation for righteousness. And what I want you to understand today during this Resurrection Sunday is that righteousness was the cause of the resurrection. It was not possible for somebody who had never been corrupted by sin to stay in the grave. If you had never sinned in your whole life, Never one sin mentally. Never one sin in your heart. Never one sin in your actions. If you have done that and you died, somebody killed you today, you would rise again. Because it's impossible for a body that has never been corrupted by sin to stay in the grave. But the whole thing about this doctrine is there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we die... We will stay dead until Jesus rises us up, but he can't raise us up in the same body because that body is associated with sin. That name that we have, the name that we have on earth, it's associated with sin. So he has to raise us up and give us a new body and give us a new name. But Jesus Christ's body, he will have for eternity. He doesn't get a new body. In fact, the Bible says that he will bear the scars of the nails in his hands and in his feet for all eternity. And we will look upon him being as he is, no longer dealing with the sin. But we will have new bodies. Jesus Christ will never need a new body because his body was without corruption, without sin without unrighteousness. So we need to understand this principle this morning is that righteousness brings life and sin brings death. Righteousness brings life and sin brings death. Very important. The Bible here in Luke chapter 23, let's just back up before the resurrection to briefly look at the cross. We focused on it as Pastor Odoyo preached on Friday. We focus in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross on Thursday. And we'll look at the cross and the resurrection briefly today. I want to get you guys out of here so you can go celebrate with your families. The Bible says in Luke 23, verse 26, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a um, Cyrenian, who was Coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he bear it after Jesus. Guys, listen. This guy, Simon, is from Africa. He is an African man. Some speculate that he was from Ethiopia. Most agree that this man is actually from Sudan, and that's probably most accurate. That this guy from Sudan made his way up for whatever reason he is participating in the Passover. Maybe a Jewish mother, father, uncle, or I don't know. But he makes his way to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he sees this man that he's probably heard of before. And he's carrying a cross after Jesus Christ was tortured. I've shared this before, let me share this again. The Romans are, are so good at torturing people. They wouldn't hit people with their fists because when you punch people with your, a closed fist, you break your fingers, you break your knuckles because your fingers and your knuckles are brittle. That's why I'm, this, this finger is so broken. Punching people in the head. I broke it this week. No, I'm kidding. That was before I was saved. They use, the Bible says, the palm of their hands. And the reason for that is because this area right here is so much harder. It doesn't break. And when you hit somebody's face, you can maximize the damage to their face when you hit with the palm of your hand while minimizing the damage to your own hand. So they're torturing Jesus Christ all night long, palming him in the face. They ripped a crown of thorns on his head. They scourged him, scourging, brutal. The Bible tells us it's 39 lashes, 40 save one, because the law in the crucifixion was 40 lashes, but they always gave 39 as some sort of offer of mercy. And so the custom was that when somebody is being scourged in their culture, that if they were to confess some sort of transgression against Rome or some sort of sin against Rome, that the Roman soldier that was scourging them would hit lighter and lighter and lighter to, to show mercy during the scourging. And it was so soft. You know how parents, when your you're, you're children really need a spanking and... Um, By the way, God made the butt for spanking, not the back, people. All right? Because the back doesn't have as much padding as the butt. It's just common sense. Please stop spanking your kids in the back. It's not necessary. And so, Jesus Christ is there. And, oh, you know when you spank your kids, I was going to say. It's like when, you're, when you don't want to spank your kids and you know you, you, they need one. It's like this. Don't do it again. So like, okay, see, ya, you know. I remember one time I needed to spank JL. She's, she's a problem child. A big problem child. And it's hard for me to spank my kids. So my wife was like, you spank her. You spank her. And she walks up. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I take her into the room. I'm like, don't do it again, okay? Gets out. I got busted. Kelsey was at the door listening. She's like, you didn't spank her. So that's what it'd be like, softer and softer and softer. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ remained what? silent before his tormentors. Why? Because the Bible says that he was to endure the entire wrath of God. Your and my sins deserve punishment. And because God knew there was no way that we could ever be saved without punishing a perfect sacrifice, he poured his wrath on Jesus. So when Jesus Christ is being scourged, 39 times, and he remained silent, they beat harder and harder and harder. And you can imagine the anger of this Roman, people blubbering and pleading for mercy every time he's ever scourged somebody. But this one time, now this person remains silent, being disrespectful to the Roman nation. So the the, the whips of these hooks and these lead balls and these beads of glass are destroying the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ' vital organs would have been exposed to such a scourging. Medical doctors, Christian medical doctors who have examined the scourging of, of God. His lungs showing his kidneys his intestines destroyed and then after that they put a purple robe on him to mock him because purple is the color of royalty and he is supposedly as they mock him the king of the jews and you know why they did that because there are professional tortures. As all the bu- blood is pouring out of his body, they put the robe on him to block the blood so that it can begin to coagulate. And as his blood is drying, it's drying on the fabric. And then what do they do right before he carries the cross? They rip it off him, re-exposing and opening all the wounds. You guys ever ripped a Band-Aid after you bled a lot and re-ripped the scab open because you, you did it too soon? Jesus' entire body was bleeding profusely with blood and they ripped the purple robe off him. And right before all that, now he has to carry the cross on the Villa della Rosa, that road through Jerusalem. And as he does that, this Sudanese man... Coming up to Passover, an African gets to carry the cross. You think God has forgotten Africa? You have one of the greatest privileges that any continent and any people group could ever have. It was an African that carried the cross of Christ. I don't know why. I was thinking about it last night. I don't know why. Because let me tell you something, it's not a coincidence that this happened. It's not like God randomly chose one person. No, he chose Simon, this African, probably Sudanese man from before the foundations of the world. That will be the man who will carry my cross with me. I don't know. I was thinking last night, this is speculation, God in his foreknowledge knowing that the African continent would be riddled with the most oppressive governments of any continent on earth. You guys know that like almost, I think, uh, I may be wrong, almost every government in Africa of every nation is despicable. Causing wars, mutilating people, oppressing them, poverty, pain, heartache. And, 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 when, and when you think for a second, is God in Africa? Let me tell you something. It was an African that helped God carry the cross to Calvary. That's encouraging. God has not forgotten you. And he never will. He never will. You know what the other reason? I, I, I've heard a lot of angry guys. I was in Nairobi sometime walking in the streets. I don't know, maybe I look like a missionary. I don't think I look like a pastor, do you? At least I've been told that in Kenya for 12 years. You don't look like a pastor. Maybe I should wear a tie. Maybe I should have a padded seat up here that's a throne. I don't know. Not that all of them do that. And I'm walking down the street and he says, go back to America. We don't want you here, foreigner. Foreigner. What did I do to you? He's dead now, but no, he's not. Killed him. And I've been getting to dialogue with young Kenyan men. A lot of them are angry. They say, no, Christianity is destroying. We need to get back to our roots. We need to get back towards African religions. Let me tell you something. One of the oldest African religions is the true African religion when that African man carried the cross of Calvary with Jesus Christ right before he was crucified. Don't tell me about something 500 or 1,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, there was a man privileged enough from this continent to carry the cross. I don't know why God did it, but in his wisdom, he did it. He has not forgotten Africa. He has not forgotten you. And it goes on. This incredible statement, it says a great multitude of people followed him, a woman who was mourned and lamented. But Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren.'" wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us for if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Isn't that an odd thing for Jesus to say? He's been punched in the face all night long with the palms of Roman soldiers' hands. He's been spit on. He went through illegal trials because he's a righteous man. Nobody had a fault against him. He was tortured. He was scourged and then a crown of thorns put on his head. He had a robe put on him, ripped off of him, opening up all the wounds. And now him and this African is going to carry... The cross to Calvary, and all of these people are weeping, these women are weeping as they're carrying the cross down the road. And Jesus says those words? What's he talking about? Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, weep for your children, because there will come a day where women wish they never had children. There will come a day that the nursing mother wishes she never had a child to nurse. Because in those days, they will ask the mountains to fall upon them. Because of how terrible those days. What is Jesus talking about? Well, first he's giving a principle. And then he's talking about the great tribulation. The great tribulation as taught to us in the Bible. We learned this years ago as here at Calvary we went through the book of Revelation, but this great tribulation is a seven-year period that the book of Revelation teaches us is going to happen on earth. Prior to the seven-year, God will take up his bride because he's not going to torture his bride. And listen, if you're not a pre-tribulation rapture person... That's okay. I know you're still a brother in Christ, but let me just ask you this. If you don't believe in the rapture before the tribulation, just go to your, to your fiancé and say, hey, do you mind if I uh, pray, f- do you mind if I allow demons to torture you on our wedding day? Do you mind if an asteroid falls on your head during our wedding day and it was me who does it? Do you mind if I take a rock and hit you in the head with it? You think your bride's going to marry you? Ladies, would you marry that guy? No, you're going to break up with him, right? There's no response. Of course you would. During the seven-year tribulation, God's going to send asteroids to, an asteroid to earth, killing a third of the planet's population. He's going to allow demons to torture people, but he won't allow them to die. He is going to pour out judgment and wrath on this world so much so, but he's going to take his bride first because they refuse to acknowledge God. He has to punish. He has to pour out his wrath. He has to judge. But why Jesus is saying this here is because he's saying to them, Don't weep for me in my judgment because my judgment sets you free. My judgment allows you to be born again. The Father is pouring out his love on us by pouring out his wrath on me. Jesus has an eternal perspective. He understands in just a few short days, in a few short weeks, He is going to resurrect from the dead. And then a few weeks later, He's going to be with His Father at His right hand, praying for us, making intercession for us. But what's going to happen? So many people are going to be left in the world. They're going to be here like we are here this morning. And not only we, because most of us are probably born again, but also all those people in Eldoret, all these people in Kenya, all these people in Africa and Asia and America and Europe. and There's so many not born again because they're rejecting the sacrifice of Christ when the wrath of the Father was poured out upon Him. And in rejecting that, they're not born again. And now they're going to be weeping when the wrath of God is poured out upon them because they refuse the sacrifice of Christ. Do you see why he's saying it now? He's saying, don't weep for me and the Father pouring out upon me his wrath. Weep for yourselves if you reject the cross because then you will receive the wrath of the Father. You will not be able to escape it then. You will not be able to miss it then. If you don't believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, that bloody, gory sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you receive the love because the Father's wrath was poured on him, then the Father's wrath will be poured on you. Like it will be poured on the world. But rather, instead of doing that, confess your sins to Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and you won't have to mourn and you won't have to weep when the Father's wrath is poured out on the world. That's why Jesus says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for the people who will go through this judgment. For the mothers who have children. I'm here to tell you this morning, If you're not born again, you must be. Avoid the wrath of the Father when he pours it out on the world and accept, receive the wrath, or excuse me, receive the sacrifice of Christ to avoid the wrath of the Father because the Father's wrath has been poured out on his Son. That's why he says it. The Bible goes on talking about there were also two other criminals led with them to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and uh, the criminals on the right hand on the the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He asked the Father forgive the people who were killing him. And they divided his garments as it was prophesied and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. The one of the criminals who was hanged, blaspheming, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This thief who is being crucified for his crimes, who the other gospels teach us that he was mocking Jesus with the other thief, with the Pharisees and religious leaders, With the Roman guards. And all of the sudden, he is now preaching to the other thief about what is true, what is righteous, what is just. He's saying we deserve to be crucified because we are receiving the reward of our actions. We are receiving the reward of our sins. And that is death. By crucifixion. Which was the law of these thieves back then. But this man. Has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. You know the Bible says. We just read it. That an inscription was written. Over Jesus in letters of Greek, Latin and Hebrew. Pilate didn't want anyone who spoke any different language that was there that day to miss, to not understand that this man was innocent. And it was because of political pressure that Pilate allowed him to be crucified. Political pressure. You remember Pilate? He comes out and he says to the crowds, I find no fault in this man. Can you imagine somebody saying that about us? They couldn't say it, could they? If somebody analyzed our lives, they said, oh, I, I can find some fault with, uh, with Josh. I can find some fault with this person. But as Jesus is scrutinized, analyzed, and Pilate hears from his wife, don't have anything to do with this man's judgment I had a dream in the night that greatly has tormented me. He's an innocent man. Pilate goes out to the Pharisees and says, I find no fault in him. And they say, if you let him go and you don't crucify him, you're an enemy of Caesar. Because he says he's a king. And there's no king but Caesar. And because of political pressure... Caring more about his position in the government than caring about following Jesus Christ, Pilate gives him over to be crucified. But he writes an inscription over his head saying the king of the Jews because it was customary and by law they had to write a sign over everyone who was being crucified on the crimes why they are being crucified. So this thief is sitting there. He knows what's written over him. They write on the inscription, they inscribe on the sign what he did, why he's being crucified. He looks at his fellow thief, what he did, why he's being crucified, and he says, we're guilty. But he looks at Jesus' inscription. He says, he's the king of the Jews. There's nothing he's done to be crucified. He's an innocent man. And he looks to Jesus Christ and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, guys, do you understand? That is a statement of belief. I believe you are coming into your kingdom. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I was watching a a, a preaching of Alistair Begg this week. I was posted on a WhatsApp and he's talking about this guy. Can you imagine this guy in heaven? It's like, how did you get here? It's like, I don't know. I was a thief. It's like, what? well, did you ever attend church? No, I never went to church. Did you go to the temple to worship? No. You circumcised? No, if he wasn't a Jew. You circumcised? No. Well, how did you get here? You know? Uh, uh, Peter, let's check the record. Should this guy be in here? And this thief is sitting. He's never been baptized, so the Church of Christ is wrong because they say you got to be baptized before you go to heaven. Now you should be baptized if you're not hanging on the cross and you have time to get baptized because it's it's obedience. You need to you need to make yourself known to people. Say I belong to Jesus. I'm I'm going to be buried in my own life. You know, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected into a new life with Jesus Christ. But this guy doesn't have time, but he still gets born again. Never been baptized. What testimony does he have? Well, he has the best testimony of all. It's the same testimony that we need to have when we get to heaven. There is a man named Jesus Christ. He hung on a cross. He was next to this thief. He was next to me, the thief could say. And he said that I can be here. So that's why I'm here. Glory, hallelujah. That's why I'm here. And that's why anybody gets to go to heaven. It's not bad people in hell, good people in heaven. It's unsaved people in hell and born again people in heaven. He did not come to make bad people good, he came to make dead people live. And it is through his resurrection that we have life in Christ. He goes down in verse 50, behold there was a man named Joseph, a council member that was he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a good and just man. He did not consider or consent to the decision to crucify Jesus. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn in rock. Where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they had certain other women with them, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Isn't this interesting, church? Now, it is not my intention to do an exposition of this story, but just to read it, but I, I, will, I will stop for this. The angels make reference To the words of Christ. To the word of God. Remember they say. That while Jesus was even with you. That he told you this must happen. And it's not complicated language. That the son of man must be delivered into the hands of men. And be crucified. And on the third day rise again. Guys. He said this so many times. He, he spoke to his disciples. He spoke to these women. He spoke to the multitudes. He told them, I must be crucified, buried. But on the third day, I'll rise again. And nobody's sitting there waiting on the third day. Saying he's going to rise again. No. But they're confused. Because life And our desires and our will and our dreams and our plans confuse us and they blind us from the truth so often but then they remembered his words they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest it was Mary Magdalene Joanna and Mary the mother of James who's Mary the mother of James. Who else is she the mother of? Jesus. Why doesn't it say it? Because after the resurrection, she's Jesus. Well, she was before, but he was before. He's her Lord. He's her King. He's her Savior. He is her God. So now she's married the mother of James, and for the rest of the scripture, she will not be referred to as the mother of Jesus ever again. And people have deified her, especially the Catholic Church, and it's wrong. She needs to take her proper place in humanity as a sinful, lost human being who needs the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem her and set her free from her sins. And you need not ever pray to Mary again, but only to the one who bled on the cross for you. That's just a side note. I'm not going to charge you anything for that. But Peter rose. Well, they told these things to the apostles. And after this, their words seemed to be like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the, to the garden. Ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Let me have the worship team come forward. And listen, guys. They didn't believe the testimony. Jesus would appear to the disciples and say, why didn't you believe the testimony of these women? Listen. Righteousness brings life. Sin brings death. The Bible says that Jesus came that we may have life and that we might have life more abundantly. That is a wonderful life, a life filled with joy, a life filled with, with, with beauty, a life filled with Him. But this comes to righteousness. And we need to receive the righteousness of Christ because He was raised from the dead to understand Listen, are you going through unnecessary pain? Sometimes our pain is because we're Christian. But are you feeling lonely? Filled with anxiety? Sin and paranoia? Depression? All of these things that are caused so much by our sin... Receive the righteousness brought to us through the resurrection, and you will have life, and you will have life more abundantly. So important that we have life and life more abundantly. Forsake your sin, forsake those bad relationships, and rise into righteousness, which brings life. Forsake any sin that so easily destroys you and rise into a new life in the resurrection of Christ. Christ's resurrection gives us the power to rise up into righteousness, church. So important. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this celebration of the resurrection. So grateful that you have set us free from sin that causes so much pain, so much destruction. We thank you that you have set us free from the bondage because you are alive. We worship you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask, Lord, I ask that anybody who needs to be set free through the power of your cross, through the power of the resurrection, that you would set them free right now. Set them free from their sin, Lord. Set them free from their wanderings, that they may rise up into a new life. I want to pray for the people who want to receive Christ today. There's something going on in your life, and you know that you need to repent. You know that you need to resurrect into a life of righteousness. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I would like you just to raise your hand if you want prayer to receive Christ, or to come back from your backslidings. Raise your hand right where you sit right now and I'll pray for you. Anyone? Yes, right there. want to rise to a new life of righteousness that brings abundance and joy. Raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone else? Yes, there's more. So many. Let me pray for these people with their hands raised. Just keep your hands raised. Lord, I pray for each person who has raised their hands right now that you pour out your Holy Spirit on them, that they would rise into righteousness the way your righteousness caused you to resurrect from the dead, and they would have new life, new joy, new passions, new desires, desires and passions for righteousness. Give them a resurrection today, I pray, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please keep your hand raised as we acknowledge you and look at you. Everyone look at them. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Guys, we want to pray for you after we're done with these couple songs. Come up front. We'll pray for you at the Connect Station. Sign up as a new believer. We want to call you this week. We want to pray with you over the phone. We love you. And if you raise your, your hand today, especially if you're a visitor or if you're not, you have found a church home where we're going to care for you and watch you walk with Jesus Christ.